The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Hyde Valiant, and I am with the China Sports Insider, Mark Dreyer. And with the Winter Olympics just around the corner, it is a supercharged podcast today. Superstar skier Eileen Gu, a new Wall Street Journal article, raises some eyebrows. Dutch Olympians are told to leave their electronics at home. Don't knock on the window. Beijingers are advised they shouldn't be good Samaritans. And we end with some football news. Mark, it's another beautiful day in Beijing. I actually got to play some tennis yesterday. Wow. Minus two. Okay. Four layers. At the, the height of the day, probably. It, yeah. was at a, it was one from one to three. Yeah. But it was such a beautiful day that, you know, yeah, I, I yeah, couldn't yeah. help it. It was so nice. So for people who haven't been to, to, to Beijing or China in the winter, it kind of goes down to around, you know, freezing a little Probably in February, it will go, you know, below freezing during the highs of the day. But up in up in Chongli and Jianjiakou, where, where the Winter Olympics are, will be significantly colder than that. Probably another 10 degrees centigrade colder than Beijing. Yeah, I mean, this is a complete aside. I mean, I went there last year, uh, and it was so cold. I'd never oh, ski- yeah. skied in such yeah. cold uh, Friends t- took kids there. They're literally yeah. just crying through their lessons. It's like, yeah, it's not, it's not worth it oh, at that it's point. it's so unpleasant. Uh, okay, so let's get to our first story, uh, who is about a, not a snowboarder. Eileen Gu is poised to be one of the stories in the Beijing Olympics. She is an amazing athlete. She's a freestyle skier, 18 years old, and she's on a roll. She's been winning nonstop in the lead up to the games. She's... I think the favorite for gold, I think it's safe to say, at least in the half pipe. And she's become a face for luxury brands, uh, LVMH. And she's also advertising for Red Bull. Mark, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, where, where to start? So she, for, for those of you who, who 
don't know uh, Eileen Gu. She uh, she was born and, and raised in, in San Francisco, but her mother is 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 Chinese, and you know, so she she speaks pretty good Chinese. And she a few years ago switched uh, internationally to 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 compete for China. So she was previously on the youth um, U.S. ski team. She's very good friends with a lot of the people still on the U.S. Uh, uh, freestyle ski team. Uh, but she will not be on their team. She will be competing against them at these particular Olympics. There's this new uh, Wall Street Journal article. Uh, I think that was it was just published today. And this reporter, Rachel Bachman, she noticed a paragraph on the Red Bull website that basically said Eileen Gu had given up her U.S. citizenship to compete for China. Then, then when she called Red Bull, when she got in touch with Red Bull, that paragraph disappeared. And then she asked them why, and she didn't get an answer. So I guess the the, the question that this raises, or the obvious question that this raises is, like, did, did, she, did she give up her American citizenship? And if not, what does that mean? So, well, where to start with this? I mean, this is an issue that, that you know, we've certainly been talking about for a while here. We've seen it. Uh, there's been a, a gray area for the, the, the heritage players coming into the men's and the women's hockey team for China. This is an issue they've been looking at for four years at least, more, more like five years. It's always kind of had some uncertainty around it. We've seen it with soccer players who have been recruited for the uh, for, for the Chinese national team as well. So this this sort of switching of nationalities is not new. Uh, and most of them, like like uh, like Eileen Gu or Gu Eileen, to, get, to give her a Chinese name, uh, have mixed heritage. They have some Chinese heritage. I mean, for me, she is fully American and she's fully Chinese. Like she shouldn't have to choose between her passports you know like i don't know how she feels inside but like i happen to have a canadian mother and, and an english father like i feel legitimately canadian as well as as well as english as well as british yes my accent is you know more more on one side than the other and that's that was where i grew up but i, I you know if if i was selected for the canadian team for example in tiddlywinks it's probably about my only shot at, <laughs> at this point i would feel I've you know tre- crossed, tremendous yeah. sense of pride um Obviously, with her situation, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, she, she's not a Tiddlywinks champion, neither am I, but um, in my dreams, I suppose. She's obviously one of the the, the best Olympic athletes of, of her generation, well, well certainly of, of these games going in. But I think a lot of the issues that, that we're seeing online and the reaction is kind of clouded by the fact that the US and China as countries, as political entities, are in conflict. But I don't see why that necessarily is her fault and she's sort of being portrayed as someone who's abandoning perhaps one country and flipping to the other okay but let's let's take a step back yeah. because we're let's let's talk first of all just about her citizenship right okay so yes i completely agree with you i mean it's not up to us to decide okay well if this person is chinese or this person's american this person's canadian whatever it's, a lot of people are deciding for her though but 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 that's bullshit like yeah. they they shouldn't and that's that's totally wrong she can decide that for herself but the ioc I mean, there are rules. You have to sort of yes. compete as, you know, you can't compete for both. You, yes. you have to choose choose a country to compete for. And she's chosen to compete for China. Now, China, as you've mentioned, has no, you, you can't be a dual citizen, right? So you have to be either Chinese or you have to be. Yeah. China, make, China basically makes you choose. Yeah. So you can't be, if you have Chinese citizenship under Chinese law, uh, you, you can't hold a, a, another citizenship. That's, I guess, that's the question, right? And we know of other athletes that where you know there's been a little bit of flexibility on this, you know. And, and I think what's really notable here is that it's the Wall Street Journal writing this story. This isn't Radii China; it's the Wall Street Journal. People are actually reading this stuff now. So, and it, this, this basically this doesn't begin and end with 
Eileen Gu. No, it doesn't. I, I mean, obviously, China wants these athletes. China has recruited these athletes across all sports. And so if they are willing to, you know, have some flexibility there... I guess they can. What they don't want to do is make it public. And I think that's the issue here because right. uh, obviously if they open that door, then perhaps a lot of people are going to run through it, flood through it. But it's not like you or I, just because we live here, we, we can't naturalize as Chinese. So it's not like this applies to a bunch of a bunch of people. If you're American, you can have multiple citizenships. Plenty of Americans have, have more than one passport. So it's not a U.S. issue. Um, if there's a way from her point of view where she gets to keep her American citizenship and you know, and it's and it doesn't make public, and she's eligible to compete for the Chinese team. It should tick all the boxes, and China can. Yeah, you know, China changes its laws and reforms its laws all the time. I, you know, I, I, that's that's kind of where I land on this too. I mean, it's a it's a it's a China issue. Like China, if China yeah. decides that she they want her to to represent them, then yeah, then that's that, and that's I think that's totally fine. Like there's uh, there's not really an issue there. So moving on to the other issue though, because that this there's a whole other thing that came out. Like you know, there's all this criticism of Gu about not speaking out on human rights issues in China. And you went off on this on Twitter today. Yeah, the comparison was was drawn. I saw someone basically say, well, you know, how how basically how dare she sort of criticize the the situation in the US with with Asian Americans being discriminated against in the US, but she hasn't said anything about, you know, uh human rights abuses in in China. And I'm like, well, we don't know what she feels on that. Maybe she has a view. Maybe she doesn't. You know, someone else was like, well, let's ask Wayne Gretzky about the, uh, you know, residential kids in Canada. Why isn't he speaking out on that? Like, like, does everyone of every potential citizenship have to be responsible for everything that one of their governments does? Like, no. And again, for me, it's it's conflating the different issues. Like, she is a Chinese individual, a Chinese person. Does that mean she agrees with, with everything that her country does? Who knows? The fact is, she's not in a position to be able to speak freely on those issues. That's not her fault, yeah. right? And just for the fact that she is representing China doesn't mean that she should have to take a position on every single thing that, that, that the government does, in my opinion. Yeah. Other people might disagree, but I mean, I think, frankly, that's ridiculous. It's tough to... It's really difficult to talk about this in, in a way, you know? And, and I think, like, I just I feel like I have to be really careful about this because there, there's a lot of nuance there, right? I, I, I do not think she's a hypocrite. And in a way, though, I think she's put herself in this situation. Mm -hmm. This is kind of unique to heritage athletes who've spoken out freely in the U.S. And they're sort of in a corner now that they're representing China. But l let me read exactly what she said. This is from a, a quote that she gave to the South China Morning Post back in March. This is, this is where all of this is coming from. Yeah. I have always been really outspoken in all matters, not just race, but gender too. I'm very comfortable with these topics because they are very important. During the Black Lives Matter movement, I wanted to do my part as an ally. Obviously, I'm never going, going to fully understand the kind of oppression that African Americans go through, but it's so important to stand by, support, and amplify those voices that are so often silenced. And that's the end of the quote. I think that's totally reasonable. I think that's commendable. And I, and I totally, I mean, my bias is that I, you know, I agree with her. But you're also putting yourself in this political arena. If you're going to speak out about issues that are important to you, like matters of race and, and, and matters of, of gender, these, these issues don't actually have borders. They're not like, they're not endemic to one country. Yeah, you, I, I can see your face. Like, you just can't be surprised when you ask to comment on other issues that, that seem irrelevant, but but aren't necessarily. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I, I think by saying that, she doesn't have to have a position on literally every single topic. Sure. She can speak out on the things that she knows about and she's comfortable about. And 
yes, of course, there's different, you know, freedom of speech uh, situations in in the two countries that that she's representing, and I think for sure that plays into it. But we don't know that she has an issue on 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 certain things in China. True. Um, whereas as as an Asian American, she's obviously. Of course. And, and and when I read that article, I was like, well, this is a very personal thing for me. She, this is, she's talking about things that she herself has seen, you know, firsthand growing up in the Bay Area and in the United States, which, yeah, yeah obviously, I mean, this is this is totally a valid thing. I do think, you know, it, it's it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to say she switched to China because she's, you know, she's going to take the money. Um, and like like we said before, we've seen her on billboards, billboards all over China. Commercially, it definitely makes sense. But I don't think that that's necessarily why she's certainly good enough. I mean, she's the best in the world right now. She's unbeaten this season. So she's certainly good enough to compete for, for, for whatever country. I kind of think there's, there's many other positive reasons that she has switched for, for China. She didn't know when she represented the U.S. ski team that, that China was going to host the uh, the Beijing 2022 Olympics, right? That kind of came, well, it came in 2015. So at some point she became aware of that and thought, well, hey, I could be the face of these games and I could really drive adoption of winter sports in one of my homelands. And I think people are going to say, oh, that's too naive. It's too simplistic and it's all about the money. And and I prefer to take the less cynical approach. <laughs> um, uh, but I am aware that the, there are other valid viewpoints. Uh, but I just think, you know, let, can we please try to focus on like some of the more positive issues yeah. <laughs> and like you know why couldn't she be someone that that both uh, both sides actually think hey she's just a great athlete yeah. the u.s ski team love her she's friends with them they don't resent her for you know switching or abandoning like they aren't the people calling her out online you know one other quick thing on this we, we've seen it happen before with with uh with nina schultz who's a Jung canadian yeah. yeah her 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 grandmother was a was a uh, world record holder in the high jump for china so yeah. again legitimately She's legitimately German through her father. She's legitimately Canadian through through her her um, childhood and and Chinese through her through her mother's side. She switched over. She competed for um you know for China in in the Tokyo Olympics. But she was basically driven off social media by the reaction to that switch, mm. and that was driven mostly by you know the geopolitics between Canada and China and basically blaming her for for being a turncoat and all this other stuff. So I was like. I mean, come on, yeah. leave her alone. For me, I, where I land on this is like, I encourage anybody to say whatever they want to, whenever they want to, politically, whatever. Like, you know, but but the right to say something also means the right not to say something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and that, I think that's good. And just one more thing, the, the Wayne Gretzky point. Has Wayne Gretzky ever said anything interesting about anything <laughs> at all, ever? <laughs> like, <laughs> is that fantastic hockey player, but like, really, just... just Legend on the ice. Yeah, off it, you know, still, uh, still waiting for his uh, Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let's, you want to move on to our next story? Yes. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on to our next story. This is from Reuters, from a, a report by a Dutch newspaper called De Volkrant. Dutch athletes are told to leave their electronics at home. Um, the concern is Chinese espionage. What do you think about this story, Mark? Because I have a couple of thoughts. So they, yeah, this is this apparently comes from the Dutch intelligence services for, for all Dutch athletes coming to Beijing for the, for the Olympics. Now... I'm just kind of thinking, like, like, what are the athletes gonna have? I mean, I, I know that espionage is, is an issue, and I, like, I've heard of CEOs being told, you know, do not take your laptop, you know, take take different electronics over when you travel to China. Sure. What is a what does a Dutch athlete have on their phone that's going to be of 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 tremendous value? I'm just thinking, like. They, you know, they're going to have to, they have all their social media. They're going to want to, like, it's just, it's more of an inconvenience. It just seems a little bit over the top. 
I mean, I heard I uh, had another journalist from overseas basically saying like, uh, "Are we all going to have to watch what we say when we're in China because you know we're in we're the, because of the the country's laws and so on? Like, do we have to be careful on social media?" I'm like, "No, you don't." But these are some of the perceptions that people have overseas. Again, I'm not part of any intelligence agency, or you know, they probably have better knowledge on this. But I'm like, it does feel a little bit of an overreaction for me. If you look at it from the point of view of it's it's my data, it's my uh, device. You know, shouldn't have to put anything on there that I don't want to. And of course, we know from the playbook that everybody that comes in for the Olympics has to put on this app called Beijing 2022. That that just has to go in there, and we just don't really know what. We nobody have seen has seen the code for that app, right? So you know, without really knowing what's in it, I can totally understand having some issues with that. We've we have talked about this before in terms of like you know, all athletes and all participants of the games have to put in their their health details uh, for fourteen days, even before coming into China. They have to get monitored every day. I mean, at the extreme end, we've seen like very extreme politicians in the U.S. sort of claim that that, yeah, that there's going to be like cheek yeah. swabs and they're going to somehow try to create super athletes from sequencing the, right. the genetic material. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah that that's not going to happen. <laughs> Phones are used here. I mean, they're, they're basically an appendage of yeah. your body, right? Yeah. You like can't you, go in and out of anywhere without scanning a code. You, it, it, you just, it's, it's such a big part of life here right now. Uh, contact tracing apps around the world have not taken on yeah, off at all. Whereas here, it just this this is a huge part of, of life here, and I think that's probably going to be a strategy that's used in the bubble as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I I know of people who have lived here and um, who kind of don't, for example, use WeChat. They try to stay off WeChat because of because sure. of privacy concerns, or when they 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 leave China, they kind of delete it immediately from the phone. Sure. But right now, with under pandemic, you know, regulations, you basically have to use either WeChat or Alipay or one of these apps to kind of to scan codes just to get in and out of buildings. Yeah. Um, so it, it is just a fact of life. We're kind of used to that. But I know that from from, you know, from different people's perspective overseas, like like the, there's definitely privacy issues. And so there's sort of when when it, when it says in the playbook, this data will be monitored and used by the Chinese government. Like, yeah, that's not going to fill them with 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 warm and fuzzy feelings. So that's what that's 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 it. Is, that's it. Exactly. Right. You know, in, in China, we you know, we, we use it all the time. We accept it. It's it's just, it's just a part of life here. I can understand how people who don't live here might have a different point of view. Yeah. So Beijing is gearing up for the Olympics. And Mark, I saw your these photos that you posted on Instagram of inside the bubble. It was really interesting. Yeah. So so I'm not going to go into the bubble um, because uh, to re-enter Beijing, you have to quarantine for three weeks. Also, they don't <laughs> just let anyone walk in there. No. Well, <laughs> yeah, you kind of need Olympic accreditation. <laughs> but um the the bubble is in operation. It's been uh, it went into operation on uh, January fourth. I think we mentioned that last week. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So it's pretty empty right now, apart from you know the crews from NBC. They have the huge media teams, and and so, you know the broadcasters are getting things set up, all the cameras and the wire and the cabling and stuff in in all the venues. So that is all going. The, most of the journalists won't be coming in until uh, you know the next the next few weeks. I have kind of heard reports from people I know are in there. You know the. Um, Obviously, it's closed, so there's not a whole lot of in and out and and provisions from an international. And I mentioned this, you know, a lot of journalists won't have arrived yet. But one of their favorite topics of conversation is, you know, how good is the food at these events and and all that sort of stuff. I think this is going to get a little bit of <laughs> coverage because I've heard that it's not that great. Oh no! A lot of kind of you know cup cup of uh, you know instant noodles. Wrong. Okay. Yeah, and and sort of pretty basic, sort of you know absolutely fine and acceptable to to what what Chinese people are used to. Not particularly up to quote international standards. Hmm. 
Um, now that might it might be just in the early days. It might be uh, that there's a uh, cafeteria which will which will ramp things up as as more and more people get in. But I can see people complaining about. The food have there. you seen photos? Have you seen any? Like, what have you? I've seen seeing? people in meetings. Yeah, and it's kind of like the the just the kind of the package snacks that oh, you might wow. get on a Chinese airline. If people know what I'm talking about, uh, yeah. some people like it, um, and other people don't <laughs> and you know it's because it's, we've talked to i remember talking to dan wilkin who'd been to many olympics and just talking about the schedule like they're just sort of going you know crazy like crazy hours and at that point food is just calories i mean they just really need to get yeah yeah, yeah. at some point they'll they'll even if it's even if it's not great or not to their liking they'll eat it anyway because there's no choice as part of the ramp up uh the beijing municipality put out this really i mean i think it's a really funny announcement on their website and i'm going to read it it's, it's pretty short uh, this is an unofficial translation it says don't knock on the window in the event of a traffic accident with olympic related vehicles the public should not knock on windows of these vehicles the public should avoid contact with the vehicle and the people in the vehicle wait for professionals to arrive at the scene for disposal that's okay an unofficial translation but you get the gist Man, okay, so don't don't knock on the windows, Mark. So yeah, so the context for this is, you know, we talk about a bubble, but really it's kind of a series of bubbles, and there's official transport uh, connecting people inside the Olympic bubble between. So obviously they have to use the, the highways and the roads. If you're going from up in the mountains, there's three kind of uh, Olympic villages. So if you're on a bus going from one to the other, the 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 the, the biggest worry from the authorities is that that all the people on the bus have have COVID. Uh, and so if they're in a car crash, they're going to come into contact with local Beijingers and then the virus is going to be out. Right. And so it kind of seems a bit comical. I have sort of have visions of, of outbreak, you know, the movie. Uh, but, you know, that 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 is kind of how they how they've been yeah. treating things here. We saw the Polish loser who who had a kind of fractured kneecap from a test event when he had that accident. And he was in, in, you know, all the doctors treating him were in the hazmat suits. Mm. And so basically their, their, their assumption, their working assumption is that every single person coming in is somehow going to get through the defenses and will bring COVID into the country. And so, so yeah, so that's why they've actually put it out. But it does seem, again, a little bit over the top. I mean, hey, there is, there's, there's, uh, there's COVID just down the road now in, in Tianjin. I was so, just going to mention so that, yeah. If you're one of the organizers for Beijing, you are having a very, very nervous time right now. Have you noticed any tightening up around the city at all? As you've sort wow. of been going around? Tightening up from, you know, it was already, within Beijing, frankly, I mean, you experience the same but not really much change but it's hard to get in and out well, of, i don't i don't the leave city. the studio yeah mark i just i don't know anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like within within our own you know quote bubble of beijing it's it's kind of normal and, and i was asked this by by a canadian radio station yesterday actually you know what is life like and it's like well you know we we mem- we wear masks going in and out of buildings we scan going in and out of buildings other than that it's basically normal day to day but I think just travel, domestic travel restrictions are going to be very, very tight. And uh, the Chinese people were basically, uh, Chinese New Year is just before the Olympics. Yeah. And for many people, it's the only chance they go to get to go home and see their family every year. It's the third year in a row that it's Yeah. And they basically disturbed. said, yeah. unless it's essential, you know, what is essential? But like, basically, please don't travel. So one bit of non-Olympic news, and I'm hoping you can make some sense of this because I don't quite understand this. Okay, so a UK judge just awarded the Premier League $213 million because of of a collapsed streaming deal with Suning. Okay, please make some sense of this for me, Mark. Okay, so Suning is a big uh, kind of uh, electronics conglomerate here in China. Um, and they are sort of the parent company for Inter Milan right now, the foot, the Italian football club. Also, uh, uh, Jiangsu Suning, who the 
uh, previous, a year ago, the, the champions of the Chinese Super League, but then within four months had gone bankrupt because Suning, the parent company, were having problems. Now, one of their other subsidiaries is PPTV, a streaming platform, and the sports wing of, of PPTV had the most recent contract to broadcast the Premier League online here in China. Now, they paid a number of uh, installments, I believe the first two of four, and then defaulted because this is when the company was having uh, was having some massive issues. And so, understandably, the Premier League has taken them to court for, for non-payment. They, they've, they've already signed a different deal and, and sort of distributed the rights elsewhere, but obviously they've defaulted on this contract, and so they were trying to get their money's worth. Now, it just sort of seems a little bit, well, a lot of a waste of time. Of course, they won the... Uh, I think it was it should be a pretty closed, uh, open and shut case. You know they defaulted on contracts, and so they're in, they're in, and they haven't paid. So so the Premier League is now owed this money. They're not going to get it. They must know that they're not going to get a single cent of this money. Um, if they don't, then they're complete morons. And I just sort of wonder what is the point of going through the court case? Like like does it what does it do in the future? Because let's assume let's assume and again. No, you shouldn't assume, but let's assume for the point of this that they know they're not going to get that money that they're awarded, which is, you know, 200 and something million plus interest plus plus damages and, and whatever. Um, does it make future companies either in China or elsewhere more likely or less likely to make deals with the, with, with the Premier League to, to pay a higher or lower price? Like, I just don't see any possible implications where, where it was worth their while to do this. Conversely, Mark, does it discourage foreign companies from making deals with Chinese companies? I think perhaps, unfortunately, I think that I, that is uh, an unintended consequence, perhaps, yeah, that, that Chinese companies kind of get tarred with the same brush. We've seen, you know, the collapse of uh, a number of ownership deals from, from Chinese owners with European soccer clubs. Southampton just sold, so Gaoji Sheng, a Chinese owner who'd had the club for a number of years, just sold in the last few days, actually. So he's one of the last ones. Uh, and so I do think that, you know, the perception overseas, rightly or wrongly, is, you know, Chinese owners or Chinese companies, it is shaded by by these these cases. So, yeah, but I don't think that's necessarily anything to do with the, with the Premier League. For, for them, I still don't really see that it gives them an incentive to, you know, take EPTV yeah. to court. But, hey, maybe they feel better about themselves. So. Uh, well, that's, that's also... Very important. We hey, they won. hey, they won. They won. They, they should, won. We should be celebrating right we now. We are winners. Well, let's, let's leave it at that. Mark, that was a fun show. If you are enjoying the show, do us a favor. Please rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. It puts us way up in the charts, lets other people discover the show. It's really, really important. We are going to be back next week. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. It's been, it's been fun. Talk soon.